Hello and welcome to the Of Interest podcast. I'm Gareth Vaughan from interest.co.nz. With the new coalition government having taken office late last year on the cusp of Christmas and the summer holiday season, we've had to wait until this year to hear about its plans in some areas. One of those areas is Commerce and Consumer Affairs, where the National Party's Andrew Bailey is the new minister. He's our guest today. Hi, Andrew, and welcome to the Of Interest podcast. Yeah, it's lovely to be with you too. Yeah, great to have you here. Look, after October's election, obviously the coalition formation took a bit of time, and you personally also had the the Port Waikato by-election, which you successfully um, retained, where you successfully retained your seat. So it was obviously a busy period into Christmas, and... You know, now we've started to hear about what your plans are, which is why we've got you in here today. But also, um, in terms of that, I guess the coalition uh, negotiations, you, you've had to come to agreement with with two partners, with the ACT Party, with the New Zealand First Party, on what your priorities are in 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 this portfolio in commerce and consumer affairs. So, I'm just interested, firstly, to ask you about, I mean, how easy or challenging was this? And can you give us a, an outline of what the key priorities are that you've settled on for this portfolio? Yes, well, the obviously the coalition um, negotiations went on with three parties. The outcome of that is that uh, with ACT, we've agreed that we are going to put a priority on fixing up the triple CFA. Uh, with New Zealand First, uh, there's a priority around the grocery market and how we respond to that. And related to that is also the banking industry. Uh, it's been agreed that we'll do a select committee um, investigation and then um, national, all, all the national proposals that we put forward in the election were also part of that agreement, uh, which we had obviously flagged triple CFA, but also a review of COFI. So all, that's a mixture of things that transfers all the um, commerce portfolio, which is exciting for me because there's lots to do. Yeah, absolutely. Look, just in terms of your um, banking um, select committee inquiry that you mentioned, do you have a time frame yet for when that is? Because I, I guess just in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, the Commerce Commission's obviously doing its market study on personal banking services, and they've got their uh, interim report due out in March. Yeah. So are you going to wait till after that, or, or are you in a hurry to get it going? Uh, I am in a hurry, but uh, I want to wait for the report from the Commerce Commission. Uh, obviously, the Commission study was focused on retail banking, and you'll probably be aware that last year I was quite critical of that. Uh, the reason why I was critical is it's inconceivable to think that the only thing we need to worry about is lending for mortgage type, uh, because that's most of the personal lending. Uh, because for businesses, actually, um, most small business owners put up their house as security for a loan. And so to divorce those two, I, that was one area I was critical about. But I think there's other areas where we might contemplate uh, doing a further inquiry. Okay, so it's going to be it's going to have a broader focus than what the Commerce Commission is looking at. Well, I don't want to prejudge it because I want to see what the results have come up. But you know, there's there's areas that you could look at, uh, and, and you know, I raised three possibilities um, prior to the election last year. One is why have we seen outflows from the productive sector like uh, small businesses, farming and property development, which is really important if you want to build houses in New Zealand. We've seen funding come out of that sector going into what I would term the unproductive sector, which is the mortgage market. That's an interesting thing because obviously it has a big impact on businesses in the productive sector. 
and then there are things around margin, and then there's things around capital adequacy ratios that the Reserve Bank man- manages. Now, uh, because that, what that means is that that will help banks determine where they put their money and where they invest their money, which whether they want to invest in more mortgages or whether they want to invest in um, supporting businesses. So those are areas I sort of talked about. We will, I'm approaching with an open mind. I want to see where they've got to with the retail, but I think inevitably there's be some other areas we want to cover. Yeah, that I mean that sounds like you're going to be looking at bank capital requirements. So you'll be wanting to hear from the Reserve Bank. Well, I don't want to prejudge it, but I'm just saying you know that uh, those are possibly areas we want to look at. I okay. obviously got to agree this with not only my um, own um, cabinet co- colleagues, but also with uh, New Zealand First. So. We will be putting all of that into the mix and ultimately we'll be working out what's best to try and work out how do we get a more effective banking sector uh, and that supports particularly the productive sector of New Zealand economic uh, economy. Okay, so it sounds like it's going to be quite a a significant um, inquiry, so we'll look forward to to hearing more. Um, Look, before the election... um, National was talking about um, repealing the, the Conduct of Financial Institutions Act, or COFI, which yeah. you, you mentioned, which obviously was introduced by Labor a couple of years ago, um, and with the idea of introducing a, a fair conduct principle through which financial institutions are required to, to treat customers fairly. Um, but now, obviously, post-election, you've said recently in, in, in a speech you gave that you're not going to discard COFI, but you want to perform a targeted reform to ensure the good con- conduct obligations are proportionate and fit for purpose. Um, why the, I guess, the change of, of, of mind there? Yeah, so uh, I've sat down with um, a number of players uh, in the period before Christmas and said to them, look, what would you like to m- me to do, given that some parties, and particularly large institutions like some of the banks, are filing their Kofi uh, obligations now. They actually started filing with the FMA. So I said to them, what What do you want me to do? And then I was also very conscious about smaller entities because I've had lots of conversation with them over the past year. So where we landed was uh, the, the large institutions said, look, we've spent a year preparing our report for the FMA and we've invested all that money. Let us go ahead and do that. So I've said, okay, for those entities that have done it, fabulous, um, and they've incurred a m- lot of money. These people have spent a l- huge amount of money doing these reports. But um, also the other side of it was, um, being true to what I was talking about, where we were going with the Kofi reports, um, we were starting to go down the process, and this is one of the reasons why we opposed it at the time. It was a very procedurally based sort of reporting what is your steps that you have to do and you have to document them all, that sort of stuff. And what I was concerned about is I, I want to make sure that um, people have to do uh, their reports, but it's got to be proportion, it's got to be fit for their business. So what I've said to people, um, first of all, uh, for those who haven't started on that journey, and there's a lot of entities that haven't because of the sheer cost of staring down the barrel at them, I've said to them, look, we are, first thing we're going to do is we're going to say you as the owner of the business, whatever it might be, a financial institution, 
you are the one responsible for preparing the report. It's not for the FMA to try and interpret what your business is and say whether your report's appropriate or not. You have to do it, and I do expect you to do it. So everyone will be required to do it. The second thing is I am going to ask um, FMA to provide guidance to those uh, entities who haven't started the process. So there's much more clarity around it. A lot of people were saying to me, look, um, because we haven't got real clarity, we don't know whether we have to do over, uh, be overly conservative and write huge pages or whether we can just tailor it. So um, we're going to ask the FMA to provide that guidance. So that's the second bit. And uh, I think the whole thing around this is I want to make it a proportionate. So to give an example, if you're a, a small entity and you've only got 50 clients, your your policies will be quite different from a bank that's got two million clients. Now, the other thing I've said, there's four specific areas um, that every entity must report on and must have um, a policy around. First one is, how do you engage with your customers? Second one is, how do you develop new policies uh, that you sell, whether uh, products or services, whatever? How do you know they're fit for purpose, meet legislative program, um, requirements, etc.? Third one is, uh, how do you do uh, manage your complaints, uh, which is vitally important. So aspects in that you'd expect in the guidance, does it have a degree of independence? Uh, what are your KPIs around responding to people? What are your procedures for people to interact with you, to lodge a complaint? And that sort of, that sort of framework that I want to um, put in place. Uh, so there's, there's actually four of those that I've been very clear about, and that's where all companies or financial institutions will have to report on. But it is proportionate, and it is ultimately for the directors of the companies concerned to um, work out what's important to them. But my main point I'd say to you is that uh, we are concerned about making sure all financial institutions uh, adopt and adhere to good conduct. It's not about diluting that concept at all. That's not what we're doing. What we're trying to do is stop the sort of this over-reporting that doesn't actually lead to better outcomes. Okay. And you've also pledged to reform the Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act, or the Triple CFA. Now, obviously, um, under the previous government, there were changes made and problems that emerged, and it was it was a big issue, and we heard a lot about it. Um, so, I mean, this act, obviously, the, the initial aim of it is to, to protect the interests of consumers in connection with credit contracts. So I assume you, you must feel it's not serving consumers as well as it could. It's not serving its purpose as well as it could at the moment. So what are you hoping to achieve by reviewing it? So first of all, I'd say to you, um, I was on the Finance and Expenditure Committee when these reforms were proposed. This is the legislative reforms to uh, put more uh, controls around high-cost lenders lending to vulnerable New Zealanders. I fully endorse that. Uh, as as National did, and most of our coalition partners did as well, right? Everyone liked the concept of trying to put more um, controls around these high-cost lenders, preying on vulnerable New Zealanders. What was so disappointing in 2019, and the reason why I'm really angry about it, is that the minister then went away and worked up a whole lot of uh, regulations that don't come before a select committee. He has the power to do that. And he did. And what has happened, I know there's been successive changes to it because it simply hasn't worked. 
And where, where the rubbers hit the road, if you talk to the Banking Association, they will tell you that uh, even now between 5 and 7% of loans that would have otherwise have occurred to people in mortgages, house lending, is now not occurring in, as a result of COFI, uh, as a result of triple CFA. So when you think about the 450 billion of um, house loans, I think across New Zealand, even one percent is a massive figure, right? And so these are people simply not getting it because the banks are now being overly conservative. But where it's really pernicious and horrible is uh, here we are sitting in Auckland. If you go out to West Auckland, as an example and someone's car breaks down and they need 600 bucks to get at the repair job to their car so they can get to work tomorrow, and they don't have a standing overdraft, where do people go and get it? Now, the second-tier lenders, officially known as um, non-deposit takers, uh, but what I mean by that is the cooperatives, you know, the credit societies. Yeah, the non-bank deposit the, takers, yeah. 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 They, they are now finding that the cost of trying to assess someone, the affordability test, means that, and I'll give you a specific example, someone in Tiamuta, I meant in a good little provincial town, they said what would normally have taken them to process, say, a loan for a 1000 bucks would have taken between two to three years prior to 2019 reforms, now takes them eight to ten, eight to 10 hours. That means rather than being able to offer a $1,000 loan or even a $500 loan, their minimum, I think, was $3,000. So all we've done, the very people we're seeking to protect, the vulnerable New Zealanders who find it difficult to get credit for stuff they really need, now can't get access to small personal loans and things like that. And that is what really I find really offensive about what's happened, the, the unintended consequence, but I think we should have been able to judge that. And so what I want to do is uh, open it up so people can get lending. The balance is there are some people who should be able to get lending who are not currently getting it, but we still need to have in place proper controls around high-cost lenders preying on vulnerable New Zealanders. So it's the balance where we get that balance. Okay. And you're also proposing to move the monitoring of the triple CFA from the Commerce Commission to the Financial Markets Authority. What's the thinking behind that? I mean, how, how's that going to improve the way that the Act is, is overseen? Yeah, so if we go right up a level, what, what I'm very concerned about is since the Simon Power reforms back in 2008 uh, that led to the f uh, establishment of the FMA uh, back in, I think, 2011, uh, since then we have had a succession of ministers, commerce ministers, who... I think they've been advised and people come along and said, well, why don't we just do this piece of legislation, Minister? And what we've ended up doing is layering up a whole lot of set of regulations around the financial services sector. It's now got to a stage where the architecture of the legislation is really unclear. And so, at a, and this was the first announcement, this is the high level stuff, not the COFI and the triple CFA. The high-level stuff I want to do and help the industry with is I want to get the architecture of the financial legislation lined up in the right areas. So in terms, of, um, in terms of regulators, a lot of institutions say to me, look, I've, I've got potentially three regulators I've got to go to. I've got a Reserve Bank, I've got a uh, FMA, and in some cases I've got a ComCom, Commerce Commission. 
So what I want to do is go back to what's called the Twin Peaks model, which is what was the original intent, by the way. So we want to have the Reserve Bank do the prudential requirements, which means like capital and all sorts of stuff, and be clear that that is their role. Their role is not getting into conduct, which somehow these occasions seem to stray into. What I want to do is make sure that the FEMA is the conduct regulator in New Zealand. And for some reason, uh, the government chose to put the triple CFA provisions under ComCom. And so what I want to do is bring that across. So if I'm any financial institutions, if I need it, if I have a prudential, I know I have to reserve bank, but all my conduct stuff sits with the FMA. So I want to give that clarity to it, and that's the reason why I'm moving, proposing to move the triple CFA function. The second level of strategic change is that under conduct, you know, we've been talking about COFI, which is one of those uh, requirements, but there's a whole stack of others. In many cases, some uh, organisations have to get up to five licences. So they have to go to FEMA and apply for five different licences. So what I've said as part of the COFI reforms, when that's all in place, and it's got to be in place by mid next year, 2025, is I'm, I'm proposing to to migrate to one conduct licence. You're either reputable or you're not. And and get, give away all these multiple li- licences. You have to compliance costs and all that sort of stuff and give that clarity around I get a prudential licence from the F, uh, Reserve Bank and I have one licence from the FMA. So, yeah, I mean, do, do, do you think... I mean, obviously having this structure that you're talking about, the Twin Peaks structure, that will simplify things for... Uh, financial institutions, yeah, clearly. Um, so you're hoping that will filter down to consumers and make, um, I guess, life easier or better for consumers as well, ultimately? Well, I'm, I am customer-focused, right? The customer, you know, regulations, you know, we can focus on regulations and governments love doing that. But actually, I want to have a viable financial services sector. And, you know, what we're doing, we're at risk. When people say to me, and I used to chair a financial planning company years ago, right, before I went into parliament, uh, when I talk to some of those advisors now, they'll say to me, you know, the regulation that's coming at us, uh, I just can't be bothered. And so I want to put the footing, uh, put the framework in place that we can have a viable financial services sector that exhibits and conduct itself in a proper manner. So I'm not talking about compromising on that, but I want to give them clarity and I want to reduce some of the overlaps and some of the, just what's happened over the last 20, uh, 15 years or so, and give that clarity so people know where they're going. And then with the FMA, obviously we'll start at that level to make sure that we're getting the right outcomes at FMA level. Okay. Another area that's been in the news a bit in the last couple of years um, is the, the, the buy now pay later yeah. sector. Yeah. So um, under the, the, the previous government, they moved to bring the buy now pay later sector into the triple CFA, but with buy now pay later loans exempt from affordability and suitability assessments, instead um, buy now pay later service providers uh, to um, complete comprehensive credit reporting when customers sign up or increase their credit limit. And these um, regulations, I believe, are due to take effect in September this That's year. That's right. Yeah, look, are you planning on making any changes to the oversight of Buy Now, Pay Later as it's proposed as you come into government? Yeah, so I'm very aware of these new um, regulations coming into force in September, and I'll be watching those very carefully. Uh, 
obviously, uh, there's been a huge move towards buy now, pay later. So I think the stats are 50% of everyone under 30 has had some form of buy now, pay later. So it's an easy form of credit, and it means you get around a lot of the rules and regulations that perversely triple CFA. So I'm watching that very carefully because I want to make sure, and this is what part of the new regulations come in September, that the risk is not with the first buy now, pay later. The real risk is what we're finding is people taking on multiple buy now, pay later schemes. And the rules will ensure that there is more testing and credit worthiness. I, I, we want to have that as a viable option for people and for retailers to be able to offer. But uh, we just want to make sure that people are not ending up using buy now, pay later for purposes that wasn't really anticipated. And, you know, you've seen the recent announcement or reports about, you know, cashing it in for groceries and things like that. That's a worry when we start to get to that stage. Yeah. Okay. Um, I spoke to you before the election about anti-money laundering. Now, um, National had a 100-point plan in the yep. election campaign, and obviously one of the points in that plan was developing protocols to allow simplified verification to comply with anti-money laundering requirements. Um, it's, I didn't see this in the coalition's 100-day plan, so I'm just wondering, is this still a high priority for you? Where, where's, where's it sitting in terms of what you're, what you're wanting to do? Uh, very much so. The um, a, AML actually sits under the Justice uh, Minister, uh, but you know, there's a huge overlap between me in terms of um, businesses and also the commerce function. In fact, I was talking to the Minister about it yesterday. Uh, we do want to move to a, a better framework for AML because uh, whether you're a bank, a real estate agent, whatever, it's just a huge, huge cost. So again, barriers to being able to do it. So the the tension is that we've got to meet international obligations, but we make it really difficult. And particularly if you've got to trust the New Zealand, it's virtually impossible to do it. So um, that is a particular piece of work. I, I um, had a team working on it all of last year. Uh, coming up with some ideas about how we deal with it. So that we're in the process, and it's a matter of getting this underway, you know, priorities that we've got at the moment. But it is a um, an issue that I'm very concerned about. Uh, uh, there is a customer data rights bill that I'm proposing to put in the House pretty soon. That's That's been prepared and, and pretty well ready to go. Um, so when you look at AML, there's sort of three parts to it. It's customer identity, you know, do you use I technology to identify people, you have the customer data stuff, and then what are the protocols for sharing the data. So those are the three things that you actually need to ultimately to do AML, but ultimately also to do open banking. Okay. Um, you've also talked about wanting to rewrite the Companies Act. Um, what is your thinking behind that? Why does it need to be rewritten? Okay, so... Go about my big priority. I, I want to deal with getting the financial structure, the architecture of the financial regulations, which I've talked about, Kofi, Triple CFA, and trying to get that clarified. So that's the first big chunk of work I want to do because I want to set the industry up on a much clearer path where clear responsibilities and obligations. The second big thing I want to do is around the Companies Act, and basically what I want to do is simplify it, modernise it, and digitise it. And the reason I want to do that is the Companies Act has not been substantially reviewed for 30 years. So small things, um, in terms of digitisation, you cannot actually file some of your um, stuff with the company's office digitally 
well, that's an easy fix. So we're now in a digital age that should be able to do it. So there's a really – but there are much more substantive issues, like the recent cases around uh, corporate governance, and uh, there's you know, Main Zeal case in particular, has made the issue around director liabilities really murky. And so that needs to be clarified because one of the big things I'm concerned about is that many people now do not want to become a director of companies. And, and I was a director of many companies before I became an MP. Would I like to be one now? Ooh, I don't know. I'd be touch and go. And so we do want people being prepared to take a risk. And the companies, the, if you go back to the fundamental principle of a company when it was formed, the concept was developed, it was around making sure that people could use a company structure that veil has now been pierced in some ways, and I think we need to clarify that. So that's a very big um, piece of work. And then there are things like uh, phoenixing of companies where uh, people close down companies and don't uh, leave debts behind and set up new companies. Another piece of, um, if I'm doing that company reform, that would be another piece of that work that I've uh, been working on. Yeah, that's a long-standing issue, definitely. Yeah. Um, look, you're obviously you've got a couple of other portfolios as well, and um, I'm certainly interested in, in in asking a couple of questions about one of those today. Um, so you're obviously you're also minister of statistics and minister of small business and manufacturing. We'll we'll leave the small business and manufacturing for another time, but statistics is a very interesting area, and obviously the statistics that Statistics New Zealand produces are used by a lot of people, including the, the Reserve Bank. Now, you'll be aware that uh, obviously in the the briefing that Statistics NZ um, provided to you as incoming minister, they talked about not having the funding available to update the consumer price index basket to make it fully representative of the goods and services that New Zealand households are purchasing. And they're, they're saying that they're running, this is running behind, they haven't updated it yet, and that they... Uh, it's currently unfunded to do this. Now, obviously, we're in a period of high inflation and um, the Reserve Bank, as I noted, uses the CPI to, to target inflation. So, um, I mean, I'm just curious as to what's going on here. Is Statistics New Zealand, are they not prioritising this work? Um, you know, how much money do they need? Um, and, I mean, are they close to finding this or getting it done? So what, what Stats New Zealand have done is they've actually now publishing monthly as opposed to three monthly um, defined CPI figures. So what we what they're doing now is publishing um, monthly figures that don't have the degree of confidence or statistical reliability as the three monthly figure, but provide a very useful indicator. And in fact, the reports we're now getting back from the banks and all and Reserve Bank and all those entities saying it's a really useful insight to them. So they have gone some way to doing that. Um, the and then we're looking at things like how do we measure um, groceries? So I, I'm looking at asking them, could you make the grocery basket, which obviously all goes into uh, these inflation figures, could you make that more representative of what an ordinary, if I can put that in inverted commas, uh, household would buy? Uh, so some things like that we can do to make more confidence. Level, but the project to move to a monthly, for instance, CPI type arrangement is you know tens of millions, and it's not it's not important actually. What I, I think they've done a really good interim step that the market's welcome, but I think uh, just taking this up a level again, what I've said to Stats New Zealand, they on the main are really good at capturing data, and and 
so that's that's fine as far as it goes. What I'm much more interested in, if you're in the military, uh, what drives the military? It's the intelligence that you have, and that's where you put your forces or whatever, right? From an economic perspective, a New Zealand angst perspective, why aren't we thinking more strategically about the type of data that we need to drive productivity and profitable growth in our firms? Because when our businesses are much more successful, that's when we get money as a taxpayer to pay for new schools and all this sort of stuff. So what I'm doing, and, and I've been doing this with even my small business groups, um, saying what is the data that we should be giving you to you that will drive your productivity and, and profitable growth. So I want to be much more strategic about data rather than saying, oh, it's great, we've got all this stuff. And a lot of it goes to academic use. I want to use it to power up the economy and be really focused on, and that means you have to actually go and ask your customers what they need and come back. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, you, you still want to see StatsNZ producing the CPI and oh, yeah, doing the census oh, and the, all those things. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess you, you talked about the, the selected price indexes, which is that new monthly yeah. data they're producing, which I agree it's very useful to have. It's 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 about 45% of the CPI items currently. Yeah. Would you like to see them do the full CPI monthly? Is that feasible? And just in terms of, I guess, updating um, what is actually being measured in the CPI which they typically do every three years, they are running behind. Is it? Is Are you keen to see them actually get that all updated and, and are you comfortable that they have the funding to do that? Look, um, obviously it's a very important thing, um, but if you, now you asked me about prioritisation within stats. So the biggest issue, and you would have seen it in the BIM that you referred to, briefing to incoming ministers, uh, is that we've, we've got a issue around the census. So most people won't realise that the last census in 2023 cost $326 It's a lot of money. And so um, they, we've got to prepare what we're going to do for 2028. So if you ask me the biggest um, priority right now is we want to have a good basis for getting this data that we need. Now there's a, uh, that BIM will refer to looking at uh, other ways of doing it, not doing the big kahuna $326 million uh, census. So at the moment, there's a lot of prioritisation going around that. Um, the information, uh, the inflation data, um, that is a work stream, but, you know, I'm working with an organisation that's got these other priorities. And I'm also wanting to make sure that what we do drives economic growth in New Zealand, how we can power up those businesses. That's the big strategic intent. So... You know, there's many projects. I've got a whopping great list from Stats New Zealand. So we're doing bits where we can, but that's the strategic intent. How do we use data strategically to actually really help the New Zealand economy? Because that's what funds all the stuff that people want, like schools. Yeah, you mentioned that the census, and was it $326 million yeah. for, for the it's last, a lot of money, last isn't it? one? And obviously 2018 census, you'll, I'm sure you'll recall there were quite a few problems yeah, uh, I know. with that one. Um and obviously it's a, an environment where um, StatsNZ, along with other government departments, are being asked to to reduce spending. I think yeah. they're in 7.5%. They're being asked to cut by this year. So with those big projects like census, et cetera, 
are you comfortable that Stats NZ is going to have the funding and resources to do oh, yeah. what you, what you want yeah. it to do? Yeah, look, we the Stats New Zealand will deliver at seven point five percent. So, for instance, I can tell you, um, to one of the initiatives is that uh, they've got very expensive office space in Wellington, and they've now sublet it to another government agency, half of it. They're doing the same in Christchurch. That's about that's about a third of the savings already in just one hit. Uh, the st- chief st- statistician actually back in December uh, looked at the ex- executive structure of stats and uh, I think he took out $28 uh, jobs. So it's not – people, and this is what people love to say, oh, you're cutting, it's cutting it by 7.5%, oh, you're going to kill off the most important programs. No, you're not. What we're looking at is what are the areas where we started going down the route where it's not delivering value, um, and so a couple of the programs we are discontinuing because literally it's not um, going in the direction we want to, and so it's not compromising the most important stuff. Uh, you know, that, as a minister, that if someone fronted up to me and said, "Oh, I'm going to cut, and we're not going to do census 2028," and you can imagine what my response would be, right? So there's some vital stuff that we would never touch, right? But we are, there is a heck of a lot of low-hanging fruit in the government uh, where we can cut costs without compromising the strategic intent of those entities. Okay, just on, finally on the, the, the census. So after the 2018 one, I think they almost doubled the number of field staff that yeah. they used for 2023 yeah. and um, got you know a broader response from people. So, I mean... It, how do you see them conducting the 2028 one? You know, do you think they need as many feet on the ground? Um, and also, are you you talked about what you want um, the data to do and grow the economy, etc. So, are you looking at potentially changing the way they go about it, the yeah, questions they definitely. ask, that type of thing? Well, one is, do you run another huge census every five years? That's the first question. And if you read that briefing there's a proposal that you don't run those big things again because the governments all around the world are having the same issue where if you front up to someone now and say, can you fill out this long form, most of them tell you to naff off. And that's the reason why there was a huge increase in the number of field staff. So, the, again, trying to be much smarter about it, actually if you think about government, how much information resides within government circles, whether it's IRD, whether it's ACC, whether it's your DHP, whatever. And that's accessing that type of data in a responsible way um, means that that's called admin data, administration data. So this is what people are slowly moving towards. And even the 2023 um, data that they're collating now relied heavily on drawing on, you know, general information across the government sector. Now, obviously, um, they've got to do it within privacy settings and all that sort of stuff. But that is the trend, and it's certainly the trend overseas, and we will have to look at it, that you may move towards more localised small surveys, targeted surveys, and then look to buttress that information using existing data sources that are potentially untapped at the moment. Well, look, we will um, certainly look forward to hearing more from you on this in coming months. Um, So that's Andrew Bailey, who is the Minister of Commerce and Consumer Affairs and Statistics. Um, Thanks a lot for joining us today. Um, It's been great to hear from you. And I'm Gareth Vaughan from interest.co.nz with another of our Of Interest podcasts.